Welcome to episode 101, a 34-part episode on Catholicism 101, the foundations of our Catholic faith. These episodes originally premiered on YouTube. You can find the original video linked in the description to this episode, as well as a discussion guide for your benefit and whoever you might be listening with. A friendly reminder and invitation to please, if you have not yet done so, please rate and review this podcast. It helps other people find it. It's such a great way to get this podcast out there and for you to share it with others. But remember, the highest compliment you could pay this podcast and myself is to share this episode or any episode on social media. And you can do that by simply posting it on your story or tagging us in a post. At Mana Food for Thought is our Instagram handle. At Mana F4T is our Twitter and our Facebook page is just Mana Food for Thought. You can find all of that on our website, manafoodforthought.com, as well as all of our previous content. And if you'd like to become a financial sponsor for as little as $1 a month, you can do that by clicking on the Patreon tab on our website. If you have not yet done so, I really want to invite you to check out our friends at Thrive Coffee. It's Coffee with a Mission. Their website is drinkthrive.org, and they are a nonprofit craft coffee roaster in Richmond, Virginia. They use coffee to create careers and training opportunities for individuals with disabilities. Uh, they ship nationwide. Their beans are locally roasted in small batches. They make blends, and three bags sold pays for one hour of work for their differently abled employees. So go to drinkthrive.org, buy a few bags, and if you use promo code MANA, M-A-N-N-A, at checkout, you will get 15% off your first order. With that being said, enjoy the next installment in episode 101, a 34-part episode on Catholicism 101. Enjoy. After I graduated high school, a couple of my friends who had played football for our high school football team went back to coach the football team. And it was funny, they told one story that at the beginning of the year they were trying to come up with a chant to say when they all huddled, then they spent a couple weeks doing this. And at the end of a couple weeks, what they came up with was one, two, three, football. And we thought that was just so hilarious. Two weeks and that's all that you could think of. But when you think about it, if you're gonna have a rallying cry, a football makes sense because that was their purpose, that was their reason and their mission. And so for us as Christians, our purpose, our reason, our mission, is all about Jesus and the gift of salvation from sins that he has given us. It sounds simple, but for the Christian, it's really about one, two, three, Jesus. That is the good news. That's what the word gospel means, God spell, good news. And sharing the gospel with someone is not necessarily just saying, oh, here's the gospel of Mark, but it's actually telling them what the good news is. And the good news is about Jesus. I mean, in long form, you would say that God made you out of love, created you in his image and likeness for relationship with him, and he gave you the freedom to choose love, to choose him, or to turn away, which we all do when we all become enslaved to sin in some way. And so because of that, God came to redeem us in his son, Jesus Christ, dying for our sins so that we could be truly free and live with him in perfect love, joy, and unity for all eternity in heaven. He established a church and sent the Holy Spirit to guide it so that we could know this message, be strengthened in it by the sacraments, and share the grace, love, and mercy of God with others. That is the gospel message. That is our elevator speech, our rallying cry, our mission. But it all 
hinges upon the person of Jesus. He is the reason for our salvation. The fact that God became man. That word, or the word, the incarnation, that's what that means. Incarnate, incarnate, becoming flesh, becoming literally meat, becoming human, that God became flesh. It says in the Gospel of John in the very first verses, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things came to be through Him, and without Him nothing came to be. What came to be through Him was life, and this life was the light of the human race, the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And a few verses later, it tells us that this Word, who is Jesus, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we saw his glory, the glory as of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. That is what we long for. All of these previous episodes talking about our desire, knowing that there is a God, wanting to have faith and relationship with him, but sin getting in the way, and recognizing that sin has consequences that we cannot save ourselves from, that all points us to the person of Jesus. But why did he have to come down? Why couldn't God just snap his fingers and make it go away? Well, in the Catechism, paragraphs 457 to 460, the Church teaches us that there are four reasons for the Incarnation, four reasons why God became flesh. First was to save us from sin and reconcile us back to God. Sin is a human problem, and so humans need to save ourselves from it, but the problem is every human struggles with it. And so God needed to become human in order to redeem us. That is the most famous verse in all of Scripture, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but might have eternal life. So that's the first reason, to save us from sin, to reconcile us to God. The second reason is to show us God's love. It says in 1 John chapter 4, In this way the love of God was revealed to us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might have life through him. That same reality, why did it happen? So that we would know the love of God. The third reason is that Jesus shows us how to live. He is a model of holiness for us. We see this in John 15, 12. This is my commandment, love one another as I love you. He teaches us how to live. And lastly, kind of a complex reason, but it is because we could be partakers in the divine nature. Now, what does that mean? It means that we could have new life in Jesus Christ as adopted sons and daughters of God, that our nature would change. We see this in 2 Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 4, that he has bestowed on us the precious and very great promises, so that through them you may come to share in the divine nature. That is why Jesus came. But for Christians, we may think, you know, okay, yeah, I've heard all those reasons before, or when we hear Jesus, we kind of may gloss over it. We see him and talk about him so much. But really, I think we forget to realize that he really is the hinge point. If Jesus really lived, and he did what he really reported to have done, if he really rose from the dead, there is literally no other choice that anyone has than to say Christianity is true. If that can be proven to be a fact, 
there is no refuting everything else that leads to the church, to Christianity, to us following Jesus, to everything that we've talked about in these episodes and everything that we will. So the question is, what do we know for sure about Jesus? First of all, we know that he's not a mythic figure like Zeus. We know that Jesus of Nazareth really lived, that he is a historical person. Now, this seems like a long time ago, 2,000 years, but really it's a, an area in time and history that we actually know a lot about. Great civilizations of China, India, Mesopotamia, Egypt, Assyria, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and Rome had already begun or even fallen by this time. The Great Pyramids of Egypt had been built already for 2,500 years. All of the original seven wonders of the world had already been constructed. Alexander the Great had already lived and spread his empire and died and been taken over by Rome. Julius Caesar had already lived and been assassinated. And the Jewish people had already been following God for over 2,000 years, tracing their lineage back to Abraham. We have multiple historians that aren't Christians. We have Josephus, the Jewish historian, Tacitus, the Roman historian, Pliny the Younger, another Roman historian, all mentioning Jesus. And Jesus is actually mentioned more times in the Quran than the prophet Muhammad. There's nearly 20 different non-Christian writers that cover the life of Christ. Some of them say weird things about him, but none of them actually doubt that he lived, did marvelous things, or that he was crucified and believed to be raised from the dead. In fact, every scholar about uh, the biblical times or about history agrees on these five things. That Jesus lived and was killed by crucifixion, that he was buried in a tomb by Joseph of Arimathea, that that tomb was discovered to be empty three days later, that several people, friends and enemies of Christianity or of Jesus himself, claimed to see and interact with him after death, and after his death, Jesus' followers experienced a radical and sudden transformation and began fearlessly spreading this message that he was alive no matter the persecution they faced. We can see records of that in history. Now the question is, if Jesus wasn't God, or if he didn't really live, why would all of these historians bother to either make this up or write about the useless life of some itinerant preacher who was from a backwater town and was a carpenter turned rabbi that everyone disagreed with and never did anything miraculous. Why would anyone have written that down? Remember, this is a time where historians wrote about only major events, kings, queens, major political figures. Why would they write about Jesus? And then apart from all of that, we have the four gospels, which are unprecedented archeological evidence of his existence, all of which, like most, archaeological figures or historical figures, maybe we have like a biography of or some writings of, these are four different congruent accounts of Jesus's life, testimony, teachings, death, and resurrection. Mark, uh, written first, proclaiming Jesus risen from the dead, risen Lord, son of man, coming on the clouds. Matthew, proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah that was promised to the Jewish people. Luke, proclaiming Jesus as the miracle worker, son of God, who came to save the entire world. And John, proclaiming Jesus is the son of God and God himself. So much evidence. In fact, C.S. Lewis, who was an author, but he was also a professor of literature at Oxford, he argued that the Gospel of John 
in its style is a literary work that has virtually no comparable equivalent at its time or before and really doesn't have an equivalent until we get the modern novel which the first of which is like Don Quixote which is like 1500 years later and we also have a ton of archaeological evidence even atheist scholars acknowledge that these scriptures have their place in history and that they talk about a person named Jesus. Now, they may not believe that people were writing truthfully, but they still acknowledge their validity as historical documents. The number of New Testament manuscripts that we have is insane, that have survived either in full or partially. We have maybe 600 surviving manuscripts of Homer's Iliad, but of the New Testament, we have at least 5,000 cataloged manuscripts so far. So we can say definitively that Jesus really lived and existed. We also know that because he lived and existed, and from the evidence in the Gospels, that he was a man. He was born, that's what we celebrate during Advent. He grew up uh, and he did what every other Jewish child does. He learned the scriptures in synagogue school. Uh, he chose a trade around the age of 12, which is, was typical. Ironically, he was found in the temple preaching to the scholars. Uh, probably trying to choose the trade of rabbi, um, but his parents brought him home and he was faithful to them. And then when he became 30, which was the normal age of a rabbi, he was baptized, he uh, recruited disciples, which was what other rabbis did, um, and he suffered loss. He, we never hear of his father mentioned again. Very likely he died in those hidden years between 12 and 30. Uh, we saw him weep at the tomb of Lazarus. We know that he was tempted out in the desert by the devil for 40 days in Matthew chapter 4. We know that he was persecuted. We know that he died. And we know that he was buried. And not only that, he died the most excruciating death possible. Capital punishment perfected in the form of crucifixion where we get the root word excruciating from. Jesus really lived and he was a man, but he was also God. Not only that, he was the Messiah. We can see that he performed miracles, he forgave sins, something only God was believed to be able to do. And none of those people who had miracles done to them ever recanted in any historical account. They never said, oh, we were making it up, it was all a joke, no matter what persecution that they faced. Jesus fulfills 353 Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. He fulfills every single one so far, and the rest are all about his second coming. He claimed to be God. No other religious figure in history of a major religion ever claimed to be God himself. They claimed to maybe know God uh, exclusively, but not to be God himself. And so that demands a response. Was he or was he not? And we believe that he was because, well, he rose from the dead. In Luke 24, we see, and in many other of the gospel accounts, he rose from the dead. And no one has ever made a reputable claim to have or have found his remains. Where did he go? Where is his body if he didn't rise from the dead? What's interesting, what we do have is something called the Shroud of Turin, a burial cloth of Jesus that's been studied and has been kind of a disputed artifact. But in 2013, a professor of mechanical engineering at Padua University, he used a spectral analysis uh, and he dated the uh, garment to between 280 BC and 220 AD, right covering the lifespan of Jesus. And uh, we actually know that the image that you see on the Shroud of Turin of Jesus, it could not have been painted on. It is actually infused on by an intense burst of UV directional radiation. 
nobody really knows how that could have happened because we don't even have the output in any machine that we know of today to be able to create that type of image on a cloth. It might be something equivalent to a bomb or um, the sun. Jesus literally is the light of the world. He emitted several billion watts of light radiation when he rose from the dead to imprint his bodily image on that shroud. There's no other way that could have happened. He is the light of the world, as he said in John chapter 8. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And not only that, after he rose from the dead, there were over 500 eyewitnesses that saw him and interacted with him. This was at a time where in a court of law, you only needed two witnesses to prove definitively that something happened or not. Where did this historical record come from? Why did all these people say this and experience this as a collective group of people and no one ever recanted? And in fact, many of them, including all 12 of the apostles, took that to a persecution and 11 of them were, were killed because they would not go back and say, oh no, he didn't really rise from the dead, or no, we hid his body. They would not recant. They gained nothing. They did not gain fame and wealth. They lived a very persecuted life on the run trying to spread this good news because they knew that Jesus was not only the Messiah, but he was the Lord. And because of that, we know and believe that Jesus is God himself, the second person of the Holy Trinity. We believe in one God who manifests himself in three different persons, Jesus being the one made flesh, the second person of the Trinity. We believe in the creed, we say that he was true God and true man because we know that he really lived and if he wasn't completely man, he couldn't have died. But if he wasn't also completely God, he could not have risen from the dead. The Trinity and that true God, true man nature, which is called the hypostatic union of Jesus, we can never fully understand those. They're mysteries, but all of the evidence points to know that they are true. And the other thing that we know is true is that Jesus started a church. And that church was the Catholic Church. We see this in Matthew 16. And he looks at Peter and says, You, Peter, are rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And that moment became a mission which became the church, which became the Catholic Church. And the mission of the Catholic Church is the Lord's plan to unite all people in the love of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Jesus is a real person and he wants to have a real relationship with you because he really lived, he knows real life, and he really died for you. If you were the only person left on earth, he still would have come and he still would have died. He is not a myth, a legend, a fairy tale, or just a story. He is God and he loves you. He is our reason, our purpose, our mission, and our hope. One, two, three.